Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast! <laughs> Live from Toronto, so everyone listening at home, if you're confused, we are at the Flatiron Firkin Pub in front of a bunch of beautiful Madridistas who are here to preview El Clasico. I am your host, Kian Sobani. I am joined by two Managing Madrid members who are actually making their podcast debut. We have Raul Calvapale, who is a former writer for Mark on English, former columnist there, Bleacher Report as well. Raul, welcome to the show. We also have Mehedi Hassan, yes, the Mehedi Hassan, who does those graphics on Managing Madrid Twitter. Everyone retweets them. The man, the legend himself, the myth, he's here. Big round of applause for Mehedi. So it's just really awesome to see you all. I don't know, it's a bit surreal because we had this whole vision plan for the podcast world tour. We were, just during the whole pandemic, we were at home doing all these Zoom calls and we were like, man, we just want to see you guys. We had this global plan to meet as many Maridistas around the world as possible and to finally see it, all these beautiful faces in the same room. It's a pleasure and it's an honor. I just want to thank you guys for coming out. Thank you guys so much. So we are going to talk about El Clasico and truth be told, when this podcast was announced, La Liga does this thing where they don't really tell you when the game is ever. It makes it impossible to plan things. We just knew that there was a Clasico this weekend. We didn't know if it was going to be tonight, this morning, tomorrow. Turns out it's tomorrow. So this is going to be a preview show and we are going to break it all down. So uh, I wanted to start off with El Clasico memories before we get into kind of the nerdy tactical stuff. So on the spot here, but Mehdi, what is your favorite all-time Clasico memory? Thanks, thanks, Kian. Uh, before answering the question, I'm just going to take 10 seconds to thank you and the Managing Madrid team for doing this here in Toronto for all of us Madridistas. A uh, huge moment for us, and uh, happy to be here. And about the favorite uh, El Clasico memory, like, I don't think anything would ever beat Ronaldo's Calma Calma at the Camp Nou. Uh, I, was, I was in high school, there were board exams at that time, and I took like specific permission from my mom because in Bangladesh uh, back back then I was in Bangladesh uh, the games used to be like late night so I took permission uh, from my mom that I need to watch this game this is like this huge game and uh, like when Sanchez equalized Barcelona were on the high at that point in time and then when Ronaldo like when he got the ball I, I knew like he's gonna score like he scored those kind of goals like 50 of them that season but that celebration, I don't think any celebration would ever beat <laughs> anything in football. But yeah, that's if I have to like single out something, that would have to be it. Does anyone else feel that one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Alright. Some head nods. There's, I mean, there's so many that that, that one's definitely up there. What about you? Uh, I'm gonna take it back to 2007, 2008 season. Oh. When oh. <laughs> had to applaud Real Madrid onto the pitch. <laughs> Because we had just secured the league and the tradition is that the next team that you play lines up and, and applauds the players onto the pitch. The look on Javi's face, it still still makes me happy 14 years later. And then we went and spanked them 4-1. So I'd say those my top two are what Mehdi just outlined and, and the Pasillo or Pasilla as it's called. I'll give you guys a hipster choice. Remember when we were down like five goals and it was the Manita? And... Sergio Ramos just loses his shit and he has a tantrum and he slide tackles the hell out of Messi's foot oh, yeah. 
and then he gets up, he slaps PK, and then he pushes Xavi as he's getting sent off the field. I was like, in that moment, he was all of us. Yes. And that, yes. that is what Madridismo is, is feeling the passion, feeling what he's feeling in that moment, and that's why we love him, and he's the greatest captain of all time. So, uh, let's talk about the game itself. So today we had press conferences from Ronald Koeman, we had press conferences from Carlo Ancelotti, and it's kind of cool, because if we did this podcast last season, and if it was like a Zidane press concert we were talking about, we'd have like nothing to dissect. He'd be like, you know, it's a final, and uh, football will be played. Ancelotti goes pretty deep into tactics, so it's pretty cool. So, um, let's start with the starting lineup, or likely starting lineups, because the 4-3-3 um, is something that Ancelotti said he, was, he, he wants to roll with that all season, right? He wants to go with that as like the kind of the blueprint. That's what Real Madrid are known for the, for the past few years. That's what we're going to do. So um, the one question mark probably is what happens at right back. So I'm curious to know, Mehedi, what you think will happen, but also what you think should happen. So I think Ancelotti made it pretty clear that we're going to play 4-3-3 at least for the time. So I don't think there's any doubt over what kind of formation we're going to play. It's going to be the same formation we played against Shakhtar. But, and also he even made suggestions after the Shakhtar post-game uh, you know, press conference that it's going to be difficult to drop someone like Rodrigo from the starting eleven, which the Spanish press was a bit uh, skeptic about that whether or not Rodrigo or Fede Valverde would start at right wing. Uh, and Ancelotti even quite surprisingly even went into that detail as well that uh, if Fede Valverde plays he has to play in the midfield not at right back or right wing so the only only question mark that remains on Real Madrid's starting lineup apart from the team that played against Shakhtar is the right back position and surprisingly enough Ancelotti even spoke about that as well that Carvajal has just come back from the injury it's, it's probably not going to be safe enough to play him again and we'll, we'll stick with Lucas. Uh, but I, I do see why he's saying that, because Carvajal is an important player, is a massively important player who we would need later in the season as well. But I kind of defer with Ancelotti in this regard that Carvajal's health has not been great for a couple of seasons now. So we're probably not going to see him sustain good health even this season. So I would rather not play him against Elche or like wait to play him against Elche or Osasuna with all due respect, but I'd rather play him in this game. Because to me, like even and Danny Carvajal at his 90%, I would, I would pick him over in the Clasico, over Lucas Vasquez or Nacho at right back. Although Lucas did have a pretty decent game against Shakhtar, but the, the pressure, the tactics of a Clasico is completely different. And especially Barcelona's left side is heavily stacked and we need ample coverage on our right side. We'll, we'll get deeper into that later in this podcast, but uh, I think everything stays same for me from the Shakhtar game, with, with the only exception being Dani Carvajal coming in for Lucas Vasquez. I mean, so your, your argument is basically, if Carvajal is going to spend half the season injured, yeah. might as well, those half games he's going to play, might as well be against the Barca, the Atletis, yeah. and not the Elches, etc. Et you told me off air before we started recording. I was like, are you ready for this classical tactical preview? Have you brushed up on your tactics? And you just kind of laughed and said, I don't, I'm, I'm basically born for this. So, I didn't say that. <laughs> so pressure's on. So, okay, so we talked about the lineups and stuff. Is, what is it that you think 
And I, like, just it was interesting talking to a lot of people before we started recording how everyone feels about the game tomorrow. A lot of people are confident, um, and I, you know, I think it's natural to feel that way because Barca are really not in a great state. And like, the only reason, to be honest, I'm not going overboard with optimism because it's just too many jinxing things like on the table. We don't want to mess with. We don't want to mess with those footballing gods and all those powers at play. But when you watch Barca play this season, they're quite underwhelming. They're incredibly inconsistent. Um, there was that first game of the season, if you guys remember, against Real Sociedad, where they looked fantastic. And everyone was like, wow, so maybe this is like a little bit of a Ewing theory. Messi's gone. Others will pick up this. La- and, and like they never hit that note again. They, they came close. And I think Ansu Fati's return changes it a little bit, right? It makes them a little bit more of a serious contender. Um, is there something that you're legitimately worried about facing Barcelona? What about you scares them? Uh, and what is it you think that we should be worried about? Well, the, the thing I'm most worried about is the synergy between Ansu and Memphis. And one of the concerns of that is they've only played together a couple of games and it's looked really good. But we don't have enough of a sample size to really know what to expect. And Memphis is a very... Like, I'm a, even though he's a Barca fan, I'm a big uh, a Barca player, I'm a big fan of Memphis. Like, he has... Yeah. He just has that extra bit of confident confidence and swag, and he tries things. He has a sublime in him, and Ansu, as we know, is a very intelligent player. Keeps it simple. He's a. He may not be the most physically imposing, but he just seems to always pick the right pass. And the the partnership between those two is going to challenge our right back. Like Medio was talking about our right back situation, which is like the big question mark. And let's say if Lucas Vasquez starts, the communication between him and uh, Militao is going to be crucial because you'll have Ansu cutting in. Memphis floating around and uh, the Ratman, as I call him, Jordi Alba, making those, uh, those big runs down the left. So I'd say it's that trio is, is what really concerns me in terms of uh, having to keep them out. And, uh, but in terms of us scoring goals, I don't really have big concerns about that. I think with uh, like Kiana as a lineup here, we, like, we expect PK and Eric Garcia to start. And I think Rodrigo can give Eric Garcia pretty torrid time. And Vinicius, I mean, I don't don't really need to talk much about him. You guys have seen what he's been doing. So, so yeah, I mean, to, to sum up in terms of my concerns, it's that Memphis, Ansu, Axis, and whether they can drag our defenders around and we need to really be on, on the ball and make sure we don't let them put these little one-twos in and slip balls in and, and uh, expose Courtois. Yeah, and that, uh, the lineup thing that Raul was referring to, Sport leaked um, a lineup that is... Kuhlman's lineup tomorrow is probably going to be a 4-3-3 so a lot of Barca fans were worried that they might go to 3-5-2 which is not ideal for them they haven't looked good in that 3-5-2 at all this season their defense has been vulnerable and and offensively they just haven't been able to score many goals Um, so the lead lineup would be 4-3-3 you have Mingueza Eric Garcia Gerard Piquet and like Eric Garcia you know like I don't I I don't know if it necessarily matters who Piquet's partner is I think whoever you put there is going to be prone to mistakes whether it's Eric Garcia, whether it's Clement Longley, who's just a shell of his former self right now. He's not playing well. Um, but the Ansu thing is interesting. And I think one of the things that and I really respect about Ansu, like, I mean, he's young. He looks like really confident. He's been great upon returning. So much of Barca's offense, maybe, this season has been just Memphis by himself. You look, he gets the ball on the left wing. He looks up. He's got nothing. Like if it's Luke de Jong, it's actually minus a player. Like he's just not even there. He's not doing anything. Uh, but he looks up and there's just nobody there. Des is on the opposite side. He's a good player, but he's not going to give you that much in attack. And he's not even playing right back anymore uh, in the last few games. And I think he's going to start in the attack. So 
how much you think the Ansu return changes the complexion of this? Is he the type of player who can kind of transcend the tactical ineptitude of Kuman? Uh, I don't know if he can like actually transcend, transcend, but obviously Barcelona have worked far better with Ansu and Memphis than they have done in the past in this season. So that definitely changes the dynamic a lot. Uh, Ansu looks like a player to Memphis that Memphis can depend on for, for those you know layoffs, for those one-twos. And uh, those things we, we have to be extremely worried about. Uh, and uh, one thing about Barcelona is their players, all of their players seem inherently, almost naturally press-resistant. Be it their forwards, their defenders, or their midfielders. We can obviously talk more about that as well. But yes, I, I do see Ansu and Memphis the dynamic uh, creating problems for Real Madrid, and that is even it makes it even more imperative for us to take care of our right side properly because uh, I don't see Ansu or Memphis going to the right. It is going to be Serginio Dest uh, or someone like Sergio Roberto, Oscar Miguel, those guys on the right. Uh, their left side would be heavily dominated by the trio of uh, Memphis, Ansu, and, uh, and Jordi Alba, of course. So. Uh, Ansu's inclusion and his inherent, uh, you know, nature to score goals. He even like scored, I think, twice even after coming back. Yeah. So those things. He's a, he's a natural scorer. So is Memphis. This definitely improves uh, Barca's dynamic. One thing that's been commonly asked in the build-up to this Clasico from our fans and our listeners is like, so how do we deal with Ansu just running at Lucas Vasquez for 90 minutes? Like, what's the game plan? The the anxiety about that. Uh, Vasquez, as you noted, and as you noted, hasn't had a good season and has had been pretty poor. Up until that Shakhtar game, the Shakhtar game was good. Um, I know when, when I brought that up with Lucas on the mailbag on Thursday, he was like, well, it's Shakhtar. Like, we, maybe we got carried away because it was Shakhtar. And, like, I think it's a valid point. I will say credit to us for scouting them well, changing the tactical identity and attacking well and having amazing games from almost everyone. Um, but I think it's a valid point. So what happens, Ansu versus uh, Vasquez, it doesn't sound like it's going to be too exciting on our end. But uh, what I wanted to say, though, is that few people have asked what happens the opposite way on that flank. Because Ansu is not someone who's going to be doing much defensive work deep. And also Jordi Alba, who's been really good offensively this season and looks like he's going to play, according to Kuman today, who's, I think he's fine because he had an injury. Um, He's not going to have much defensive help on that flank. And Barca play a high line. And even with Alba on that flank, they've been vulnerable defensively. And I just like Rodrigo's chances at running at Alba or, you know, even if it's somebody like Balde or Mingueza who might come to that side, whoever it is. I like our chances there. I guess part of me feels a little bit almost disrespected that everyone has been asking Ansu versus Vasquez, but no one's been saying Rodrigo versus... Alba is my point. So that brings us to what we can do against them offensively. And also, just like Raul, if you want to talk about the other side, we haven't talked about the other side. Uh, maybe that's because we all feel pretty comfortable with Furlan Mendy there. He's just such a beast. Um, had an amazing game against Shakhtar. To kind of control Des on that side single-handedly almost because everything that Barca does is on the left flank and they won't go through the right much. But Maybe just talk about like either flank if you want to, and also what Rodrigo and, and Vinicius and how we can punish them on the wings as well. Yeah, just to pick up on the Rodrigo point and, and the space that's going to exist behind Jordi Alba. If we look at the left side of our midfield, we have probably the best player ever at switching cross-field balls in, in Tony Kroos. And one thing I want to see and I expect to see is 
when we get the ball in midfield, just switch it back and forth horizontally for a bit, drag them out, and then get the ball to Cruz, and he just pings one. Rodrigo can run in behind. And if Rodrigo is in a one-on-one -on -one with Eric Garcia, that's going to spell a lot of trouble for Eric Garcia because he is he is not very good in one-on-ones. Like one thing you notice with him is whenever he's confronted by a winger one-on-one, -on -one, he leaves a lot of space. And uh, Rodrigo needs very little space to, uh, to to deliver a really good ball or to dribble someone. So, and the other thing with Rodrigo is the, the way that he makes his runs, he really loves a diagonal run in between, uh, from the half space right right to the middle, right to the penalty spot pretty much. So you're gonna see a lot of uh, Alba, like earlier on I was talking about the, the communication between Militao and our right back, whether it's Vasquez or whoever. But if you go up the field, they're, they're gonna have the same problem with uh, Alba and Eric Garcia and that half space and, uh, and sort of figuring out who tracks Rodrigo when he makes a diagonal run. And I mentioned Kroos, but Modric is also there. He's pretty good at football. I have his name on the back of my jersey. He's another one who's going to be slipping in little balls for Rodrigo. And uh, again, Eric Garcia, I just don't... I, mean, I don't claim to be an expert on, uh, on anything, much less Barcelona's uh, players and fans, but I, I just don't, don't see what he brings. I don't know why Luis Enrique likes him so much for Spain. So him up against Rodrigo, I think he's, uh, he's going to get toasted. Also, it should be noted that for some reason, Eric Garcia for Barca is a different Eric Garcia than the one place for Spain. It's Luis Enrique just, I think, gets a better version of him. Um, so, I just want to do a quick poll, actually. How many of you guys think that we should start with the 4-3-3 tomorrow? Hands up. Most, okay. Vinicius Rodrigo on the wings with Benzema up top? Most, okay. Uh, so... Casemiro, this one is a little bit more maybe polarizing just based on who I was talking to before the podcast. Casemiro, Cruz, Modric in midfield. Show of hands. Okay. Uh, some neutral. Some was like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> so a little bit maybe not, uh, unsure. Uh, so here's another question because uh, if we're if like we get into the second half, let's say maybe there's some there are some issues we can almost predict. Maybe maybe not. I don't know, but. Maybe we need another midfielder. Maybe Barca are overrunning our midfield. Maybe they have more possession. Maybe they are getting passes between our lines. Maybe we're pressing a little bit too aggressively. Maybe we go back to some bad habits. I don't know. Um, is there part of you that feels like, is there a solution where we could go with four midfielders? Because one of the talking points is, if you put Lucas Vasquez at right back, does he need defensive help in the shape of a Fede Valverde? And I think Rodrigo can help defend. But do you put Fetty on the right wing? Do you put Fetty in central midfield? Um, or do you, do you go with the fourth midfielder, like a Kamavinga or a Fetty, or do you save that for the second half? I think we save that for the second half because, as you said, Rodrigo and Vinicius, both of these guys uh, track back a lot, and which, which was liked by Zidane. Ancelotti likes both of them for that same reason. So if we start with Lucas Vasquez, I think uh, regardless of who is playing ahead of him, Rodrigo or Fede Valverde, Vasquez will get that coverage back because Vinicius and Rodrigo, both of them track back. But I think in, this is a kind of game, if something's not working out, we have those kind of players, especially in midfield now, uh, both Camavinga and Valverde. We can bring on Fede Valverde probably in the second half, but I, would, I, would, I wouldn't deter away from the KCM midfield. Uh, this, is, this is the midfield I go with. Uh, anywhere <laughs> if I have to but uh, I, I think uh, one thing why I, I am so adamant about that we have to play this midfield because the synergy between these like among these three guys is just 
of a different level. And uh, the thing that worries me most about Barcelona, if I can like add to that as well, is I, I would go just a little bit back to the other live podcast actually about the Villarreal game. Villarreal actually showed us that if we don't press right, how bad a team can just pass through us. And Barcelona with players like Frankie de Jong and Sergio Busquets can hurt us a lot because like you, you can basically you know you can't press the, these guys so to uh, to compact or to save that synergy among our midfield uh, I would look beyond uh, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz and Casemiro but I, I do see Fede Valverde coming into this game to, to do something in the second half. I mean Ancelotti said also in the press conference today like when he's speaking about the press which kind of caught me off guard because I, I, when I looked at the Shakhtar game, I was really impressed with that performance because because we didn't press. I mean, if you're pressing at the the way like Liverpool are, the way Manchester City are, the way Bayern are, it's a no-brainer. You press. You you make more offensive opportunities that way. You create transition opportunities. You get um, you know you get the defense uncomfortable. They can't pass in the back. They can't enter your half. And I feel like we have the players for that. I, I strongly do. Um, but if it's not working at some point, you have to recalibrate and do something different. And that's why I like the Shaftar blueprint because we were just a little bit more conservative and Shaftar were just confused. They had the ball at their feet. They, the, their coach deserved, he said after the game, we had planned to kind of invite their press and pass through them. And they never did that. And they were just, you could see the confusion on their faces. And Modric, Cruz, Casemiro, they were all content just sitting back and, and letting the front three do their thing. Ancelotti said though, because he was asked in the press conference whether we see that again against Barca. And he said, look, the Shakhtar game was different because Shakhtar played a certain way. Barcelona don't necessarily play that way, which I don't know if I agree with. And I don't know if it means that much anyway, because he could just be saying things because he doesn't want to reveal his whole, his whole cards, all his cards for tomorrow. Um, but I, I would rather see the Shakhtar blueprint is what I'm saying. I think the way that Barca hold their high line, it's going to be so vulnerable. And if we just stay compact and condensed, and I think this is where your point about the synergy of Casemiro, Kroos, and Modric comes into play, because they know exactly at their peak where they need to be defensively, how to absorb pressure, and just get the ball out wide to, to the wing. So, question is, aggressive press <laughs> or more conservative? Yeah, I, I think it's common knowledge that we're not a great pressing team. We just haven't developed that yet because a good press requires like everyone to be on the same page and it has to work like one organism and we're just not there yet. But having said that, in the Clasico against Barca, I would actually go with a ferocious press just to start the game for the first maybe 10 minutes or so. Because if you look at Barca throughout the season, they concede a lot of early goals. And uh, Eric Garcia, like I already stated my opinion on him, I think, I think he can be pressed and harangued into making mistakes. PK has like, you know, the turning radius of an oil tanker. And there's going to be a lot of pressure just coming down from the fans in the Camp Nou. This is going to be the biggest capacity in the Camp Nou since pre-pandemic. And I think it's worth taking that risk of pressing really high just to start the game. Because if you look at the risk-reward for that, okay, what's the risk? Is maybe they cut through our press and they take the lead. Okay, that would suck, but we have like 80-something minutes to work and try and turn it around. But the opposite side of that coin is if it works out for us, we take an early lead. Then we go back to our, what we did against Shakhtar with the mid-block, tight lines. Let them come, let them play as many pointless passes as they want. Let Busquets and uh, Eric exchange like 800 passes, doesn't matter. You'll have to come forward eventually and then we can just wreck them on the break. So I don't know if uh, this is what Ancelotti is going to do, but it's, it's, uh, 
it's what I would do is just press early and then and then see what comes. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting Ansu's probably not gonna get the full ninety. Like I mean I don't think he's played a full ninety yet, has he? I think he's either played like 60 minutes max or something or come on at halftime or taken off at halftime. Um, and I, one of the things I wrote about today uh, and also just basically all season and we've been talking about it with Diego on the Churros uh, Itacticos podcast. They just even, it doesn't matter if they're holding their high line. Like even if Barca play a little bit deeper, they can't stop you even in a slower build-up phase from just passing around you. And I think that was one of the, like if you watch the, Barca, uh, the Bayern game, it's Bayern, okay? So you can chalk it up and say, let's, Bayern might do that to anybody. But let's look at the Benfica game, which they lost. Benfica were just slowly passing the ball around, waiting for the inevitable Barca just crack, and they just miss a defensive assignment, and they just, you, you break them. They're, they're, not, they're not hard to break. Um, so I, I think, like, you know, both teams will say in the press conferences today, and they're very careful, they're very diplomatic, that there's no favorites. I, I, I would be disappointed as a Real Madrid fan if we didn't win this one, just knowing what state they're in and how many weapons we have. Like we can talk about all the players we've lost over the years. We have so much talent, we have so many pieces that can hurt them if we, if we play this the right way. Um, but one thing, and I'm wondering if this concerns you, this goes back to Ancelotti's league record as a manager. If you look back, to the games he has never done well in the league as a Real Madrid coach. And you know, he hasn't won many league titles as a coach generally, but um, his record against Barca and Atleti has been really poor. Um, you think that's something of the past and that's something we don't need to worry about? It's just, you know, it's something that it happens, it happens, but you know, but I'm just asking if that worries you at all, if that's a real thing. Yeah, it, it does worry me, but probably not as much as the previous years. And one of the reasons is, uh, reasons are a few things I learned about his son, Davide Ancelotti, in, in one of the podcasts that you did with Matt, that Davide actually puts in a lot of analytical stuff to present to Ancelotti, and then he takes the decision. There's a lot of data involved uh, around the opponents and the real of the team itself, who's doing mistakes, or those kind of stuff. So these are the things I'm pretty sure Ancelotti was not really concerned about in his previous stints uh, at Real Madrid or even at Bayern Munich. We all know what happened with him at Bayern Munich, those like, uh, rather relaxed training sessions or whatnot. But I think that has definitely changed uh, over the course of time and this season, especially knowing about how Davide uh, you know, operates and helps his father. Uh, that, that puts me at a little bit of ease that probably he's now more opponent oriented, especially in th these kind of big games. Obviously, like you have to focus on your own game and your own tactics, but uh, to scout the opponent rightly, it's, it's also very, very important, which Real Madrid did against uh, Shakhtar, and I, I do hope that they do this against Barcelona as well. Out of curiosity, how many of you guys listened to the, the David Ancelotti podcast we did? Okay, if you haven't listened to it already, highly recommend it. Not even because of us saying anything, but because it's fascinating to learn about David Ancelotti, the, th the amount of things he does from an analytical level, right? He never played professionally, but he's, in a lot of ways, he's our idol because he's just a nerd like us who really knows how to scout opponents and kind of tell his dad, like, and, and you know, Ancelotti is an older coach, right? So I think it's, it's a nice, nice to have this fresh perspective in the team. And I think a lot of the things we hear tactically that Ancelotti says in the press conference probably comes from David. Um, what have we missed so far from a preview standpoint? Maybe a bit more discussion on Vinicius. 
Vinicius. Okay, so Vinicius versus Minguesa. Minguesa, the right back. I like that uh, matchup. Uh, do you want to do you want to speak more about that? Sure. Yeah, I'll just say with uh, I actually quite like Minguesa as a right back. He's he's one of those players who is actually faster than he looks. Like he looks like he should be pretty slow, but even when they played PSG, he did pretty well against Mbappe, and then I think he got subbed off because he was on a yellow or something. Uh, so I don't think Vinicius will necessarily have it super easy, but one, one thing that will be key is whenever Tony Kroos gets the ball on that side, Benzema is going to be dropping in and Vinicius will be doing the opposite, making the run behind and, and I think we can expect to see a, a bunch of those classic Tony Kroos balls over the top. And if Vinicius uh, you know, manages to break that line and then engage PK in a one-on-one, -on -one, we've seen what's happened in the past, it usually ends with PK being left on his ass and then moaning about referees or something after. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, Vinicius, we just generally need to celebrate how, uh, like, what a big leap he's taken this season. Like, he's been so frustrating in the past. He gets into these great goal-scoring positions, he passes when he should score, uh, when he should shoot, and vice versa. And, uh, and now, just uh, reading the, the Catalan media today, as I was, there's a, there seems to be a lot of fear in their camp about Vinicius. And I think rightly so. Yeah, there was a headline today where PK was answering a question about Vinicius versus Ansu Fati. I don't know if you guys saw that. And I saw the headline and it was like PK, it was on Managing Madrid, Matt wrote about it. And the, head, the, the headline was PK talks about Vinicius versus Ansu. And I was like, my blood was boiling just without even opening it. I was like, what is he gonna say? I was probably gonna be some bullshit. And then uh, it was actually very flattering towards Vinicius. He had a lot of praise. So I was like, okay, I, I'm assuming he's gonna save his salty trash talk for after the game. but. Um, this has been a, a huge talking point. I always said like, because we get this question a lot on the podcast too, like Ansu versus Vinicius, who would you rather have to build your team around? And I'm like, I'm just glad we have this debate because so many years during the classical, we had all these debates of Xavi and Iniesta versus Mordish Cruz, um, uh, you know, Ramos versus Piquet, Ronaldo versus Messi. We had all these parallels through the 11, I'm just excited to have these conversations again because I want a strong classical. I want superstars, I, I want to be entertained, I want the world to be entertained. Um, I guess apparently no one's going to watch the classical tomorrow because there's a cricket game. Do you guys know about this? <laughs> India, India versus Pakistan. So, uh, but I don't know. But I hope that whoever has has it in the background of their India-Pakistan game, they'll be entertained. It's like an Ansu versus Vinicius showdown, you know? Uh, so, uh, let's do a quick poll. You're down a goal, 65th minute. Rodrigo gets injured. First up off the bench, Hazard or Asensio? Hazard, show of hands. Okay, yeah, that was gonna be my next one. A a or Asensio? Oh, wow, interesting. Wow, man, how Hazard has fallen completely. Um, this is just, this came to my mind just now. If Kamavinga plays tomorrow, which I assume he will at one point, he will have played more classicals than Eden Hazard. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I, I did want to ask you, maybe we'll start with you actually, Raul. Um, Kamavinga, what does he bring to a t uh, off the bench in a game like this? What, what, could, what could he bring to change the dynamic if, if something's not working? Well, he's, he's a... He's a very hyperactive player in terms of like how he, he's, he's always looking to get involved. He's, he's never shy to ask for the ball. So I think if, if we have a situation where we're 
you're just really struggling to move the ball from like around the midfield line to to the final third. You want someone like him there because he's a bit of a risk taker, maybe because he's so young. He tries these like risky passes. He likes to carry the ball. He likes to dribble. Uh, so, uh, I mean, for me, the first midfielder off the bench, regardless of whether we're winning, losing, is going to be Valverde. Yeah. Because of everything he brings uh, both ways. Uh, so I. I, I, I I would expect Kamavinga to maybe play 10 minutes or so, come come on a lot later, win or lose, depending, uh, no matter how the game's going. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's how I see it pretty much. Alright, what, did we miss anything? Uh, no. Okay, you guys want to do some questions and trivia? Yeah! You guys want to do some questions and trivia? Yeah! Uh, so, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know the rules of asking a question. Can anyone blurt it out? No questions about... Mbappe, yes. We don't know. One day, one day he will be a Real Madrid player, we think. Hopefully before we die. Um, so if you want to ask a question, just come up and uh, grab the mic so that everybody can hear you. Um, and also while people do that, uh, just we're going to give away prizes. So Mehedi and Rahul have both prepared trivia questions and I don't know what they are. And I always, like we did this in LA too, I, I tell them to prepare trivia questions and not tell me what they are because I want to test my own knowledge. Um, and I want to be exposed, and so, yeah. So we're gonna give away like five or six prizes, I think, so hopefully you guys did your Googling beforehand. Uh, any questions, really, no questions? Okay. Hey guys, so one of the things I've been thinking about is a lot of talk was uh, executed around bringing Ancelotti back. There was nobody available that was a safe option. Uh, the tactics are pretty much known. He's not an evolutionary coach, so on and so forth. But I wanted to kind of give our ideas on is Ancelotti also back because he wants to prove that he's a top flight manager? And how much is that? How much of that is going to factor in his tactics this season? Because he was after Real Madrid, not exactly on an incline in terms of his career. He was on a decline. So how much of this does? Affects his stock, so to speak. So, it's not a question, but just thought okay. it would be awesome. Did, did everyone hear the question? Okay, you want to start? Sure. Uh, so, I think, yeah, like proving him, proving like uh, that Ancelotti is still a top coach, that, that is one of the factors that is definitely factored in his decision to coming back to Real Madrid. And two clubs specifically, if you think about it, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. He did have unfinished business at both of these clubs. Uh, he has done like relatively well for an Everton coach. And speaking of Everton coaches, like definitely better than what Ronald Koeman did at Everton. But he was still having like a you know kind of an okay time there. But when Ronaldo came calling, obviously those things factored in uh, Ancelotti that he has unfinished business at Madrid. And obviously, I think as as an old school person, probably this is this is not. Uh, as much of a choice for younger players or coaches, but for some people still, when Real Madrid calls, you just answer the call, right? Those things, those things are still there. And Ancelotti has actually changed a lot of things about his coaching uh, after his Bayern Munich stint, since he started coaching Napoli. I didn't know it myself, I only started to research about this when he was announced as a Real Madrid coach again. Especially his rotations, uh, his, uh, yeah, his rotations and his 
dependency on data, those kind of things. These have changed a lot uh, since he joined, uh, joined Napoli. And the English Premier League obviously works differently as well. There are different kind of resources that you have to adapt if you are to going back to the English Premier League. So yeah, he's, he's obviously better prepared this time around. But proving that, you know, thought that he's still one of the top coaches in the world, that I think that, is, that was part of his thought process when, when he becomes to there. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe alluded to uh, Ancelotti's Bayern stint. I think that's one stint that looked like it was really hurting his legacy because I mean, there's no shame in getting sacked. Every coach gets sacked. But after he got sacked, he had Bayern players come out and say, oh, he was too relaxed and he wasn't tactically smart and there's, you know, everything, we, we just weren't challenged enough. And so then he ends up at Everton, and when Madrid comes calling, I think Ancelotti never dreamed that he would be back in the Bernabeu again. And so obviously he just dropped everything and just got on the plane and got to Madrid. But from Madrid's point of view, the reason he was perfect is because, uh, as you saw this summer, we don't really have a lot of money just yet to spend. We tried for Mbappe, it didn't happen. But Ancelotti is the kind of coach who he's not going to complain about signings. Florentino Perez knows he will work with what he's given and he'll just sort of create a big picture environment that allows the sort of individual quality we have to shine. So, so it's just a perfect fit and it's a huge chance for Ancelotti to sort of reinstate his legacy and set himself up for some big job after Madrid, whether it's, I don't know, the Italian national team or maybe someone in the Premier League, whatever it is. But now he's sort of back at that level where if he wins a, a major title with us, and it's, I think La Liga especially is a very realistic uh, shot, then he's, he's back up in, in that sort of team that I, I don't have much to add other than the fact that, you know, when you look at Ancelotti's previous Real Madrid stint, um, it was a lot of Real Madrid selling really good players and asking him to reinvent and make it work and not complain. And he, he was always the kind of figure who never talked bad about Florentino Perez, even though a lot of us felt that he shouldn't have left that year where we went trophyless because the squad was running to the ground. You know, we were, we were injured. We still made it to the semifinals. We had that historic run mid-season. Um, and he had nothing but good things to say. And when you kind of look at this era now, you fast forward, you, you have every reason to complain. You lost Ramos and Varane in the same summer. Um, you've been losing your best, a lot of your best players throughout the years. You, in, their, in the club's minds, I think they, ha they were like, we need somebody who is just going to defend us for everything we do and reinvent players and make it work with whatever squad he's given. And, you know, to be fair, and I think and part of the reason why I think it's important to li listen to that David Ancelotti podcast is because, you know, part of the ways that he can also be really good this time around. And, and David Ancelotti was with Real Madrid during La Decima year. He was there. But his role and prominence and also the coaching staff is also different now, too. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was the greatest appointment. I also think it was a pro maybe a necessary appointment. And given the fact that we didn't have many other options either. Question. Another question? Uh, first of all, thanks guys for an amazing event. Thank you. Man. Um, so about Mbappe. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so my question is, in Madrid, Barca, history of had a long, long history of controversies of players going from one team to another. So in the current squad, in both our current squads, if you could switch, if you could exchange one Madrid player for a Barca player, who would that be? And in the Madrid squad, who would you be the angriest if they were to move the other way? This is a great question. <laughs> it's a great question. Did everyone hear that? 
All right. He's getting fist bumps when he sits down. Like, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, do you want me? Why don't you start? Sure. <laughs> That's a really good question. So I, if I understood correctly, part one of the question is who would I swap if I had to swap? So in that case, it's a matter of who, which Barcelona player do I think would add a lot to Real Madrid? And I would take Pedri. And, and so if it means... <laughs> I think that's a Kool-Aid they're clapping. <laughs> So, so, I mean, to make it fair, if that means I have to send a midfielder to them, that's... I, I guess... Uh, uh, Isco. <laughs> I mean, I love Isco from his prime, but, I mean, he's, he's not staying past the summer anyway, no chance. And Barcelona fans have this strong fetish for Isco. They always thought of him as, like, a, you know, a tiki-taka player, which I think they, they have a point. So that would be the swap I would do. I'm sorry, there, there was another part to the question. Let's do round... What? We'll finish this around of the first question first. Uh, you didn't really put rules to this, so... First team, first team. Ah, okay. I was going to go like Mariano for, <laughs> for anyone. Okay, uh, okay, so first team players. Okay, that makes it a little bit more challenging. You go ahead. Yeah, that makes it a lot difficult, man. I, I, I wouldn't swap anyone from the Barcelona starting lineup to our starting lineup. I'd probably like, swap, like from the Barcelona starting lineup to our starting lineup. I wouldn't swap anyone. No. I'd probably have. Uh, like, <laughs> I'll probably have like Ter Stegen for Lunin as the substitute goalkeeper. That's a good choice. But but to like let me spin this this way. To, if I would have anyone from Barcelona's starting lineup in Real Madrid's team to play without giving up any of our starting lineup players. I, would, I think it would be Frankie Dion. Uh, him, Modric, and Cruz, I think that is going to be a devastatingly good midfield. So I think for me that, that would be Frankie Dion. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with your sentiment that like, there's no one really in that Barca 11 that excites me for Real Madrid. I think they have a lot of really good young players, but everyone who I like from their team would get in the way of one of our young players, you know what I mean? Like, Pedri would get in the way of Kamavinga and Fede, who I don't want, I don't want them to take a back seat because they're awesome. You know, Ansu's awesome, but you know, that's Vinicius' spot, right? Um, but, uh, I, I guess, like, it probably would have to be one of their midfielders. Like, we often talk about, like, you know, Modric is getting older, Cruz is still young enough, but, you know, maybe he has three to four years left, I'm not sure. Um, and... De Jong is a good one. Pedri is a good one. Um, the one I would be most heartbroken if he switched sides would have to be Luka Modric at this point. I have to. I named my son after. I had to change my son's name all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout. Modric is definitely and I mean any player going there honestly even if Mariano went there I'd, I'd be pretty annoyed really well really Mariano was born in Barcelona I think he, he was he born in Barcelona in, right? yeah. he would fit in yeah he'd be going back home <laughs> but since Kian already mentioned uh, yeah since Kian already mentioned Modric I would uh, pick Benzema that would be another one that would be heartbreaking especially because again he's uh, one of those Madrid players who Barca fans really like and respect and I mean, again, with good reason. So, and him being pretty much our captain at this point, that, that one would hurt. 
Yeah, for me, I, I think I would also say Benzema because he's a player that he's, he's well respected at this stage. And uh, I think he's now a bit less respected because he's getting these Ballon d'Or shouts and Barcelona <laughs> fans don't like that. They like give it to Gavi, but not Benzema. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it would absolutely like shatter me into a million pieces. But for me, it would also be Benzema. Just because like he's also our best player right now. I just love how narratives change because like when we had Ronaldo, all the Barca fans were like, well, he has Benzema helping him. And now that Benzema's competing with Messi for this Ballon d'Or, it's like, Benzema's trash. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't add up. Uh, any other questions? Okay, yeah, uh, like eight hands just went up. So why don't, I, I propose we just do a quick lineup here. Uh, and then we can just do it that way and maybe take five more and then we'll do trivia questions and we'll try to do a rapid-fire You guys having fun? Yeah. Hi everyone, so my question is at what point like Carvajal is injured for two to three months every season and we let Hakimi go because of him we let Audrey Zola go at the start of the season just because we have Carvajal and now we are left with Lucas Vasquez playing on right <laughs> So at what point do we maybe like think of having a strong replacement for Carvajal and not mess up our defense? It's, it's kind of a weird one to juggle. I mean, to me, the, the bigger mistake wasn't so much loaning out Audrey Zola, it was selling Atra. And the club justified it well because Abshab cost us nothing, he turned a good profit, and it's the Carvajal era, so how can you have two amazing right backs in your team and, and keep them happy? Abshab himself stated later, like, I never got a chance to compete. I would have competed. Uh, people thought that I left because I didn't want to compete. I wanted to compete. So it's unfair on him, but, you know, that was probably the bigger mistake. Odrio Zola, and this comes up quite a bit. Unfortunately, because I don't want you guys to sit through it, I've watched every Fiorentina game this season. It's been torture. He's been bad. And like I don't. And when I watch him play, I don't see that he would be necessarily an upgrade in this situation. And like you know, he's more of a natural right back than Vasquez. But I, it, it it's it's one that's hard to juggle because you want to rely on Carvajal. And it's hard, you know. Anyone? You guys want to add anything? Yeah. You know, as you said, like we gave up Ashraf, and now we are stuck with Lucas and Ryan. I, 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 I would even make it worse because we also gave up, uh, almost also gave up Nacho at the beginning of the 1920 season. Nacho was only not sold because Carvajal got injured, and then he was kept. If Carvajal would have like somehow kept himself safe at that time, we wouldn't even have Nacho, who is like our makeshift right back, left back, every back, right now. So yeah, there, there's definitely been, been some you know wrong decision making from our board regarding the right back situation. And uh, we, we gotta do anything, uh, something come next season, because this can't sustain any longer, because we have been suffering for two seasons now. This is the third season you're suffering with the right back situation. Uh, this cannot sustain any longer than two seasons. Yeah, I mean, the, the question was really at what point do we take that next step and try and bring in another right back? And my answer would be this coming summer, for sure, because, uh, I mean, the dream would be, and I do think Hakimi will come back to Madrid at some point, but he has like five years left on his contract. PSG hate us because of the Mbappe pursuit. It's not going to happen until he maybe is down to like one year left or he comes on free. 
So, uh, so I do think this summer we, we have to go shopping. And I think we will. Right, we got a few more questions. I just want to ask you guys, at one point you became Madridistas. So I don't know if any of you guys actually lived in Spain or were born in Spain or Madrid. So how you came to be Madridistas? I wasn't born in Spain either, but at some point I became one, mostly because of family. So how did it happen for you guys? So uh, I can start this yeah. one. So I became a Real Madrid fan in 2002, and it's actually a funny story. From from a national team's perspective, I support Argentina, and they were knocked out in the first round in that year's World Cup. But like, uh, I, I still stayed loyal to them. But Brazil was obviously the team of that World Cup in 2002. Uh, they won the World Cup. Roberto Carlos was there. Another big name in that World Cup was obviously Zidane, the poster boy of the reigning champions from 98. So when I, I, I was little, we only used to like read these things on newspapers and on like general knowledge books that Zidane plays in this club, Roberto Carlos plays in this club. So all these big players, they play in this same club. What is that club? Real Madrid. And also there was that thing that, uh, you know, uh, what is the club equivalent of the World Cup, the Champions League? only one team has won nine times so those things stayed with me like uh, guilty glory hunter here <laughs> so uh, but you stuck around though, yeah right? I, I stuck around and i've had my you know bad days trust me like i've lived all the six two five mil four mil again barcelona i've paid my price but yeah that's the point that's the point uh, around summer 2002 i became a real good friend Great era. Um, yeah, so my story goes back all the way to 1966, actually. Uh, You're that old? Yeah. So I was, uh, I, I, I actually wasn't about to come into existence for another like 21 years or so, but my, any, how many Persians in attendance? I know we got at least two right there, three, four. Okay, I know a couple of them left, four, five, something like that. Um, so my dad was living in Iran at that point, I'm Persian, uh, and he watched the 1966 European Cup final on a little black and white TV in Tehran. It was the Hent, it was the one we won with Hento and the Yeya era. And he watched that game and he was like, I'm in. He's like, I'm, I support this team now. And then like 21 years later I was born and I didn't even really care about it until I was like 13. So 1998, that was my first World Cup. And, uh, and also like the 97, the Champions League final in Mihatovic, that was kind of my introduction to it. So I'm a Madridista because of, because of my dad, essentially. Yeah, yeah for, for me, like, similar to Mehdi, uh, there's a connection to South American national teams. In this case, uh, when I started uh, becoming a football fan, it was more through uh, international football. And, and I love Brazil. I love Roberto Carlos because I played as a left back very incompetently when I was a kid. And the other thing which might sound stupid is, so my name's Rahul, and obviously there's a play, player named Raul, who's amazing. And as a kid, this, this sort of thing has an impact on you. Like, yeah, this guy is like, you know, he basically has my name, and he's a fantastic player. So that's how it started. So uh, I became a fan in the 98-99 season. And uh, uh, like I was talking to the guys before we started recording, it was good timing because uh, the next season we won the Champions League, crashing Valencia in the final, and then we had the Galactico era. And uh, the other thing, the question you sort of asked, like, did you guys have a connection to Spain? And in my case, it's the reverse, which is the Real Madrid fandom sort of helped create this connection to Spain. And I ended up traveling there for a few weeks. One of the, one of the reasons was to go to a Madrid game, but I also ended up traveling around and 
I, I feel pretty connected to the culture because Real Madrid introduced me to it, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of people. Out of curiosity, how many of you guys um, became fans like during the Ronaldo era? Like Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Because I, I know like even like uh, a lot of people came in the 2009 summer and just stuck with us. I think that was a huge summer for us. Like even like a lot of fans came obviously the first Galactico era. I'm just curious, yeah. So we have two more questions, three more? Okay. Hi, um, thank you for coming to Toronto. And my question is about um, Spain national team and Real Madrid. And my question is pretty much is that why Luis Enrique is not inviting any Real Madrid players to the national team? Especially Nacho, which last year he was so good, especially in that Liverpool game that he was on fire. So why is he not inviting all these players that can definitely help Spain to even improve? I know they are really good right now, but I feel like um, some of the Real Madrid players like Nacho or Lucas Vlasquez can really help their formation as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I think the whole Luis Enrique thing, I mean, it's one of those weird things. It's hard to criticize because Spain plays well. Uh, but when, I think when you look at the Real Madrid players who are in contention right now for Spain, it's not that exciting. Like Asensio, no. Isco's not even playing. Nacho's had a bad season, but I think Nacho had a huge case last season, right? And Luis Enrique's justification was, um, well, you know, I want my players to play, but he also took Eric Garcia, who had barely played. Um, I just wish... I'm okay if he doesn't take Real Madrid players because like we don't really have unless Carvajal comes back. But I just want him to come out and be like, "Hey, I just don't like Real Madrid." Just come out and say it. Just say it publicly so we can all just stop asking the questions. Just, just admit it publicly, and then you know we can move. We can move on. Anything else? Anything else? Okay. Uh, one more. How many questions left? Two more. Okay. Three more. Okay. We'll do rapid fire. Do have to press anything? No. What's up, man? Hey. So, uh, my main question is this, that uh, I really feel that the game's going to be about the midfield battle. Yeah. You know, three in the middle, three in the middle. Now, you guys have already gone over, you know, the Madrid players that are playing, Barcelona is going to play as well. What do you think is the answer? Is it going with experience, where you have someone like Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro, or you bring in the youth that's also been performing, you have Camavinga, you have Alberti that's going to give you running, that's going to give you a lot of oomph, and maybe allow you to overpower a Barcelona midfield. There's tactical ability on both sides, there's physical ability on both sides. So it's kind of like, you know, it's if I play X, you play Y sort of thing. So what do you think, in your various opinions, would be the most appropriate approach? And secondly, are you going to take Uncle Pauly off right hands or no? Which one? Yeah. Pogba, bro. Pogba. <laughs> we'll think about it. <laughs> You go ahead. Yeah, yeah so I think the midfield uh, battle, as you already mentioned, experience. I think rather than just players' experience in itself, it's also the classical experience that's going to matter a lot. And uh, obviously, Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro have more classical experience than many of even the Barcelona players. So Frankie Dion is fairly new to the classical game. Uh, he has only played a few, I think, and Gavi is like very new. So, but still, Barcelona's midfield is, you know, specifically catered to play a certain kind of football that they want to play. That is press resistant, you know, short passes, those those kind of stuff. To tackle that, I think we should go with with the experience because if anything doesn't work, we have the option of bringing 
and a Pedro Verde or, or a Camavinga. But apart from that, I think our experience will, will mean a lot in this game. I don't have much to add. I just think that it's almost a moot point to discuss it because Ancelotti is going to go with experience. Uh, it's part of the reason why he's played Nacho over Miguel this season, even though Miguel has a huge case to play over Nacho because he's a more natural left back. He can provide more attack, and it's not like Nacho has been good defensively anyway. And Ancelotti's ex explanation every press conference was always experience, experience, experience. So I, th I think for that reason, we'll see KCM in the midfield. And yeah, sure, we'll take Baba, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you for coming out again. And doing this. Thanks, man. Um, I have a question about more so about the academy as well as national team. So after seeing the emergence of Fati, um, Pedri, and Gavi from La Masia, plus Nico, I guess as well, why doesn't Real Madrid have as much luck with the Spanish national team from La Fabrica? And to me, Bruno Iglesias looks like the more certain one from our academy that might break into the national team. Um, maybe Salah as well, he can develop more as well. But um, it just seems like the past decade, Barca has just been dominating the national team. We do have our moments here and there, but I've just been very curious because I do want, as you can see with my jersey, I'm a huge uh, Spain fan and a Real Madrid fan, obviously, but I want to see more Real Madrid emergence or um, presence in the national team. I'll, I'll start that. So that's actually a very good question. I had the chance to speak with Inter Milan's uh, academy director here in Toronto. Inter Milan has an academy here in Toronto. I had a conversation with uh, him for, for my channel one day, and something very interesting came up. Is and, and that he has also worked with Juventus and Barcelona as well at, at youth levels. So about Barcelona is that they bring up their players a certain way to play a certain brand of football. Now that brand, you know, intertwines with Spain's brand of football more than it does to Real Madrid's brand of football. We're like more open. You see, if you, yes, it's true that probably not, not a lot of La Fabrica or Castilla guys are making it to the national team, but if you see the volume of players we're producing for the Spanish league, and also European Big Five leagues, we probably outnumber Barcelona by a significant margin right now. So Real Madrid's academy is built in, a, in that way that you can try out different styles, it, because Real Madrid's first team is also built that we don't play a specific brand of football. But Barcelona plays this one specific brand of football that is more similar to the national team. I think that's why there is you know, more of Barcelona in, in the Spanish national team than of Real Madrid, according to me. Yeah, I think it also depends on who the manager is. It's yeah. funny because when you look at the under-21 Spain team, Real Madrid midfielders often dominate that one. Yeah. Um, and so whether that translates to the senior squad, it's, you know, it can be hit or miss dependent on who the manager is. You know? If it's somebody like uh, Julian Lopetegui, it was like just Spain, <laughs> Real Madrid were almost one. And to be fair, you, know, you look at Barcelona and the relationship with the Spanish national team, in the past decade, I mean, really since the Xavi and Iniesta era ended, it hasn't really been that Barca dominant, nor Real Madrid dominant necessarily. Last World Cup was not very, there weren't many Barca players either. So I think it'll depend on the era. I don't know. I mean, I think there's definitely an element to that. I think that's a valid point for sure. Um, I will say I think the current crop of Castilla players is really exciting. If, especially if you look at the last like two, three years and who we have now. If, if, did any of you guys watch the mini classical last weekend? Some of you, uh, really fun. Like we, we were awesome that game. We have a lot of fun, exciting players coming up. It's just going to be a different, and I, and I guess it's hard to say. I wouldn't be surprised if 
next World Cup or next Euros, let's say, it just completely flips again. I mean, it's, these things, they change so quickly, right? You want to make that? Okay. One more question? Hi, my name is Kion as well. Yeah, Thank is you. that fourth Kion? No, no, third. Oh, you're one of the three? Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll just say you're fourth, yes. I just want to say thank you for having this event. And I was wondering, was there a significant play by Vinicius that made you feel like, damn, this is our guy? Not so much a, a specific play, but I mean, it would have to be that season when he was fast-tracked into the first team. His, his first season with us where he's really a Castilla player, and Solari, who was a Castilla coach and became our coach, fast-tracked him just out of desperation because we were just struggling for any inspiration. And uh, his, his first few performances there were just really electric. And I remember uh, uh, it was Jorge Valdano, Real Madrid legend, who's a, who's a, a poet when he writes about football in, in Spanish. And he had this, uh, this line in one of his columns. He, he said something like, the, the air in the Bernabeu was stale, and then Vinicius was like the child who opened the window and let the fresh air in. So, I mean, it doesn't really answer your question, but I mean, that's the effect he had in his, his first few weeks. So, uh, even though there wasn't a specific moment, I'll just say it was his first few appearances when we were so stale and he just came and, and brought some, some, uh, some samba joy to our to uh, left wing. Yeah, I, 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 like you, I feel like almost right away I knew. Like, uh, I went to the Castilla games when we first signed Vinicius. He was playing at Castilla at first. And I was blown away. And I remember being at the Atletico Madrid training ground, which is where their, the Atletico youth team plays. And so they had a little derby. It was Atletico B versus Castilla. And I remember being at that game. It just so happened to be the game where Vinicius was just single-handedly destroying Atletico. He scored an incredible goal. He scored a free kick. He scored two goals, and then Solari took him off after like a. It was like it was not even a long cameo. Like it, well, he didn't play the full ninety. I remember talking to Solari after it, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, Vinicius is just here because he's better than everyone, and Zidane wants us to make sure he gets minutes, so he's here. He's uh, he doesn't really. He's just here because he's. We need to make sure he's fit." Uh, I, but I knew that that game, he was just so much better than everybody else, despite, yes, I'll get to that, despite the fact that he was younger than everyone on the field at that time. Uh, and yeah, so I was reminded, that was also the game, very bizarre incident happened. One of the Atletico players just bit him in the head. Yeah. It was so strange. It was like all over the, the front pages the next day. It was, yeah, so I was at that game. I think yeah. that's why Luis Suarez signed for Atletico. Yeah, it could <laughs> be, yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be. Uh, so we're, if there's two more questions, okay, we'll do this rapid fire, okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, so my question was, uh, so we've been linked with uh, Haaland and Pogba, uh, also Mbappe, but that's <laughs> <laughs> um, so my question is, if these players arrive, how are they uh, going to be integrated into the team uh, when we have players like Benzema, Rodrigo, uh, and in midfield we have like Fade and Modric? I think uh, like if Haaland comes and uh, the person who shall not be named in Managing Madrid podcasts, uh, he arrives as well from PSG. I think it's a bit too good to be true. I think you need at least two more seasons to integrate them both. And by then, Benzema would be phased out. Like, not in a bad way, of course. Like, Benzema would be in the, in the last stages of his career. So I think there's at least two years to that. I don't think all of that happens next summer. 
That's good. Uh, yeah, uh, on the, I think with Pogba it would be easier to integrate because uh, it, it, he, he would naturally be replacing Modric. But I think uh, if, if Modric wants to stay on and take a reduced role, maybe with a reduced salary, he seems like the kind of character who might be up for that because he just loves Real Madrid. And, uh, so I think integrating Pogba, Pogba wouldn't be a huge issue. He would just take over from Modric and if Modric is okay with that, he would like stay on as, in like this veteran uh, sort of locker room presence role. And if he's not up for it, then uh, then you know we don't extend him, and, and he leaves uh, our greatest stubborn midfielder. Yeah, I would just add. Okay, with regards to uh, Holland specifically, uh, you know Benzema had that interview with ESPN recently. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but one of the things he was talking about was like how he had to evolve after Ronaldo left, and I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the interview for me. And he was saying like, you know, when Ronaldo was there, he's scoring 50 goals a year, so naturally. I have to adapt. Um, and I don't know if it would necessarily go back to that, but I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if we start to see him kind of take that feeder role to Holland, and, and which would affect, to be fair, Vinicius in the wings and stuff. But I think it wouldn't be that difficult because Benzema is really versatile, and I think, it I think it would actually work nicely with Holland, to be honest. One more? Sure. And so did we, make make no mistake. Like, the kind of troubles that we went through last season, we also deserved the title. But I think Atletico, they changed uh, many, they introduced many refreshing ideas into their otherwise boring tactics last season, uh, which was which was pretty big. So I think I think they just won because of that. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that either. Um, there was one more, right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Quick question. If you guys had a chance to grab a beer with any past or present La Liga coach, who would it be? Coach, specifically. Okay. So the question was if we were to grab a, a drink, beer with any present or past La Liga coach. That's a good question. It would probably be our current coach, Carlo, because he. First of all, if I wanted to talk tactics with him, he would indulge. Like as you, as you guys know, his press conference, press conferences are pretty interesting. He seems to speak his mind, and he has a home in Canada. I don't know if people know, but his really? wife is Canadian. Yeah. He has a home in uh, BC. Yeah. So the Canadian connection, and uh, just from uh, watching some of his interviews, he has a lot of interest outside of football. Like he loves cooking. So he probably cooked me a nice pasta with, with the beer that we're having, and uh, he likes singing. So he probably serenade me after. He just seems like he'd be. <laughs> A, a fun guy to hang out with. Even though someone like Zidane, I might hold in higher esteem, but I don't know if you'd be. This is a beer I'm going to share with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, someone like Zidane, even though I hold him in higher esteem, I don't think he'd be as fun to hang out with because he's like a quiet, quiet sort of cold person. So. Yeah, Carlos, my answer. 
I think the Zidane being boring is part of the. It would be a part of the reason you would have a beer with him is because it'd be a challenge. You want to open this guy up for once in his life and just like get him to say something that's interesting. Um, I, I feel like. When the Zidane book eventually comes out, it'll be interesting because we know so little about him because he's so quiet and he's so he doesn't reveal much. So whether it's through a book or through a beer, I think Zidane would be interesting to talk to. Um, for me, it would have to be Raul. He was my idol growing up. Uh, I'd love to pick his brain about so many things, so many memories as a Real Madrid fan. And he's been pleasantly surprising me as a coach too, um, tactically. Well, I guess it, I didn't know because we didn't, we knew nothing about him as a coach, but he's been great. So uh, definitely be Raul for me. For me, it would be like without a shadow of a doubt, Zidane, and uh, he would probably like grab a beer and say, "Yes, una beer." Like, this, this <laughs> <still> <laughs> <has> <laughs> beer. <laughs> the final beer. So in the final beer, but yeah, I, I, would, I would love to hang out with Zidane and like, ask him. <laughs> Ask him about a bunch of stuff. How did he pull out the three P? Now, like Netflix should make like series about this. That was so cool. But uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's gonna be there. But uh, really good question. All right, you guys ready to do some trivia? Yeah. All right. So Raul and Mehdi have uh, prepared some questions. And if we run out of questions before we get, uh, oh, thank you so much. Okay, sweet, thank you. Um, so more prizes just came in, so I might have to make up some questions on the fly. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll just start with you. You wanna go? Okay, he, they told me off air they have complicated questions that might be too difficult, and then backup questions, so we'll see. Oh, so, sorry, how we're gonna do it is the first person who raises their hand, I'll just be scanning the crowd, and I will, I'll just make sure it's fair, okay? So the first, the first prize is, how many of you guys have been reading Managing Madrid for let's say four to five years? The actual website, not the podcast, okay. So I don't know if you guys remember, but we had a cartoonist, his name was Finn. Do you guys remember him? Yeah, so Finn designed this Managing Madrid hoodie. Super cool. So he, he made a bunch of cool designs for us. So this is the first prize we're giving away, it's a Managing Madrid hoodie. All right guys, first, first question. And uh, no pressure, but let, let's not embarrass Toronto on the Managing Madrid world stage. I really hope someone gets, uh, gets these right. Stop the recording at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the question. Which player who came through Real Madrid's youth system went on to play for Barcelona and scored the winning goal for Barcelona in a Copa del Rey final over Real Madrid? Absolutely wrong. Uh. Be behind you, that was you. Oh, that was your guess. I, I knew that would be the first guess, but like I said, this is a this is a bit of a trick question. Do you want to repeat the question one more time? Yeah. So you're trying to name the player who came through Real Madrid's youth system, played for Barcelona, and scored the winning goal for Barcelona over Real Madrid in a Copa del Rey final. Good guess, but no. At the back. Marcus Alonso. Correct. Yeah. Just to, uh, Come get your prize. He is a Barcelona fan, just so you know. That's how I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We know. We'll get him after the show. <laughs> Just in case anyone was wondering about the answer, so the answer is Marcos Alonso, 
who, whose father, Marquitos, won the European Cup with Real Madrid, and whose son is the Marcos Alonso of Chelsea. Okay. So, next prize is a La Liga scarf. We actually have, how many did we get? Four or five? We have five La Liga scarves we're going to give away. Okay? And then we have a couple more things after that. Alright, so my original question is a bit complicated, so I, I request everyone to pay attention. So how, how this is going to work is, uh, I will give you some trivia, and I'll ask you some trivia from you, right? So this is about two very famous Real Madrid goals. Everyone knows these, these two goals. One of them is, the first one is Zidane's volley in 2002 against Bayer Leverkusen. And the second one is Gareth Bale's header in the 2000. Uh, 14 Champions League final. That was that put us 2-1 up after the Di Maria run, all right? So there are some like spooky similarities between these two goals that many of us know and many of us might not know. I'm gonna tell you the first two similarities. We have to name the third, all right? Everyone ready? Yeah. Okay. So both of these goals were scored about scored by the then most expensive player of the world, Zinedine Zidane and Gareth Bale. Both of these goals were assisted by a South American player from the left flank who went on, whose na nation went on to play the World Cup final that year. Dimar is Argentina, Roberto Carlos is Brazil. All right, these two. Now, who played the pre-assist pass? Like, who played the pass to Carlos and who played the pass to Morata? I'm, I'm like, uh, pass to Dimar, I'm gonna give you the names. So, Santiago Solari played the ball to Roberto Carlos and Alvaro Morata played the ball to Angel Di Maria. There are three different similarities between Alvaro Morata and Santiago Solari. If you can name any one of those, it's the right answer. <laughs> no, Santi Solari was not a Castilla graduate. You're both known for being handsome. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, first one was here. Yes, that is that is that is one right answer. Round of applause. But 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 I will I will give you the other like the spookiest thing is both Solari and Morata were wearing number twenty one on both finals. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Is there what's the third one? Oh, the the third one is uh, both of them played for Atletico Madrid. Okay. Yes, you got it. You got it. <laughs> And obviously, like, Morata played for Juventus and Solari went to Juventus. Okay. Alright, my, my second question has a decidedly Toronto team. Uh, this is a question about a match that I'm sure some people in this room have been to that game. This was a... Uh, no, don't, don't. I, I see you, I see you on your phone. So, so this question is about the 2009 preseason game between Real Madrid and Toronto FC. Real Madrid won 5-1. The question is... Who scored Real Madrid's fifth and final goal? Wow. Right here. No, not Negredo. Not Kaka. Not Granero. That's a tough one. How do you remember that? You guys just got to start guessing at this point. Not Raul. Raul scored, but it wasn't the fifth goal. You guys can just like, guess at this point. Using Cristiano. No, not the fifth goal. No. Not Higuain. Not Alonso. What year was it? 2009, not Van Nistelrooy, not Benzema, not Benzema. Name everyone. Not Ozil. Robin. Yeah. Well done. Well done.
<laughs> All right. So, so the second question that I'm going to ask is, who scored Real Madrid's first goal under Carlo Ancelotti in an El Clasico? Right here. Wait. Hesse. Who said Hesse? I did. <laughs> no, Hesse is the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you just showed up here and you're stealing all the prizes and everything. Hope that's all your team gets for tomorrow. <laughs> it's your consolation prize for the weekend. He's getting the prizes so that PK can complain. There you go. Alright, so we're getting into my backup questions now. Uh, this is a classical question. And I just picked this because it is my favorite Real Madrid classical performance. Uh, 2014, we beat Barca 3-1 October. We could have won 6-1 or 7-1, but that's one of the most memorable Madrid performances for me in a classical. The question is, so we won 3-1. Uh, the first goal was scored by Cristiano. The third goal was scored by Benzema. Who scored Madrid's second goal? Pepe. 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 He's a Madrid fan. Right. So, in, in Real Madrid... Uh, try, to, try, to, try to see if there's anything that hasn't gotten one yet. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, so, in Real Madrid's 115 year of history, there have been many captains. But who was our first, like, full-time Brazilian captain? Like, the first captain who was Brazilian? No, he, he, he was never a first captain. At the back? Yes. Yeah, so we have had Brazilian captains before, but they were vice captains. But the first captain, Marcelo, is the first Brazilian first captain in our history. All right, so we have two prizes left. Uh, they're each $25 gift cards to this place, the Flatiron Frickin' Pub. So, you got more questions for me? No, I can, I can rip you got, do you have, do you have one more question? Oh, man. All right, should I think of one? Uh, make one up. Uh, let's see. Um, Trivia. I have a managing Madrid trivia question. Go for it. All right. So, uh, many of us watched the churros, right? With Kian and Diego. Yes. So, what did Kian let fly when we won the Classico <laughs> last time? Option That's A. That's very a, specific. Option A, a firecracker. Option B, a balloon. And yeah. Those are the two options. <laughs> uh, you, you raise, he raised his hand first. What, what was it? Yeah, it's a balloon. <laughs> well, a whole crowd was caught off guard for that one. That was very specific because that was, we only published the video for a select group of people, so like maybe like 200 people maximum saw that, I think, video. But but that was the coolest thing ever, <laughs> like the churros and the balloon. I just, it was the last classical win and Diego was really salty and he was so angry. Why did and, he have the balloon? And I just had, it was one of my son's balloons. Oh, he like okay. just had it there and I blew it up and I just let it fly when I was doing the intro because I was so excited. <laughs> All right. All right, I just pulled a question out of my ass just now. It's about a, a very memorable Classical, the 3-3 draw in 2007 when a certain Argentine guy, I forget his name, but he scored a hat-trick, I think. So the question is, I'm going to uh, read out Real Madrid's lineup except for one player. You have to name the missing player. Wow, okay. Casillas in goal. The back line was Salgado, Ramos, 
Elguera and Miguel Torres. The front, front line was Raul Van Nistelrooy Higuain. Now the midfield, we had Guti, Mohamedou Diara, and X. Who is X? In the back. Gago. Whoever said Gago. Okay. Come on, my friend. The last prize is yours. All right, so we're actually going to wrap it up here, but be, but we're here to stick around, have fun, have drinks, socialize, whatever. Um, one thing I want to say is that uh, how many people live in Toronto right now? Most, majority of the room. So Raul is trying to set up a Maridista Pena in Toronto. So I think that's one thing that's missing in Toronto is an official supporters group where you guys can all get together regularly, watch the Classicos, hang out, grow the community. So if you're interested in that, please see Raul after the show. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, just before the podcast, a lot of people were asking where to watch the Classico. Um, so I would just encourage you guys to network and figure out plans for tomorrow morning. It's 10, 10 15 kickoff time. Find a bar or something. I, maybe they'll, they'll show it here. Um, so, so I would just encourage you guys to organize that. So, um, so what we do at every live podcast, whether it's on Zoom or in person, we sign off with a Hala Madrid and fuck PSG. So, <laughs> we, we, you know, we can make exceptions. You know, sometimes we switch it up. We say fuck Arturo Vidal or something like that. So, so because it's classical weekend. We, yeah, what's your prediction tomorrow? Oh, yeah. I, I said 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, certain, my actual feeling is a little bit different, but I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, here's what we're going to do. So, Hala Madiri Naramas. And what was it? PSG Cabron Saluda Campeon. Okay, you got it? Good. I'm going to count us down. 3, 2, 1. Alamarín, nada más. Bien, bien, bien. Saluda, campeón.